How good does that feel? Been a week, hasn't it? It's been a week of uncertainty and extensions of closures and week of anger, week of division, week with anxiety and fear and dismay, confusion, all sorts of things. And friends, I hope you're letting this time together be what it can be. When your computer isn't working right and things get sluggish, you hit the refresh button maybe. Can we use this time as a time to refresh and reorient together? To let the scriptures wash over us and to remind ourselves, like it says in Colossians 1, that Christ Jesus is supreme over all things and he holds all things together in a world that feels like it's falling apart. The reality is, is that all things are held together in Jesus. To take communion together, to remind ourselves, and we need this reminder that Christ lives within us. The presence of the eternal cosmic Christ lives right within us. A reminder and a reorientation that we represent Christ, to our families, in our homes, to our roommates, to our neighbors, to our social media friends. I want to encourage you just to remember that over and above representing anyone or anything else, you represent Jesus. Can we lean into that this week? Can we remember that? Can we lean into the grace and goodness of Jesus when we get frustrated, when we get anxious, when we get fearful, when we get angry, leaning in to the gracious arms of Jesus? We are part of the 24-7 movement, which is a global movement. It's a movement of prayer and it's a movement of churches around the world. And one of the great benefits of being part of a global movement is that we get to, to rub shoulders with and become friends with some really wonderful people who are doing amazing things around the world. And this morning, I've, I've been waiting for this mo morning for a long time to be able to share some good friends with you. Drew and Mary Caldwell are some great, who have become great friends of mine. Um, and they have been living in Lebanon for about a decade now bringing the gospel to Lebanese and to Syrian refugees and doing amazing, amazing work. I've uh, journeyed with in a cohort every Tuesday morning for the last two years with Mary and gotten to know them. And uh, just, I'm, I've been excited to share these guys with you, Bruce City Church, and to be, to, to share some stories and to have some fun. So Drew and Mary Caldwell, let's welcome Drew and Mary Caldwell. You can't hear the round of applause that everyone's given you, Drew and Mary, but uh, you can unmute yourself and say hi. Hello. Hi. Hi, everybody. Good yeah. to be with you. Yes. 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 So you guys are in Beirut, Lebanon right now. Um, what time is it in Beirut? It's a good question. 6.38. 6.38 in the evening. All right. You guys are eight, hour, eight hours ahead of us. And yep. Beirut, Beirut is a divided city, right? And you live in a specific neighborhood. Um, can, you t can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. So Beirut had like a, had a, well, Lebanon in general had a 15 year uh, plus, maybe closer to, yeah, about 15 year civil war uh, that was largely between different religious groups. So Lebanon is kind of diverse by Middle East standards. We have 
Orthodox Catholic Christians. We also have Sunni Shiite Muslims, other groups that you may not have heard of. Uh, and they all kind of have a piece of the pie in Lebanon. And so that caused some pretty violent civil war, which sadly was waged under kind of religious auspices in many cases. So we live on the west side of Beirut. Beirut used to be divided in the middle. And the, the main road down the middle was a, was a battlefront, a war zone for about 15 years. And uh, so we live in West Beirut, which is Muslim Beirut. So you live in Muslim and even near some Hezbollah neighborhoods. Um, yeah, amazing. Um, and you have some daughters, correct? In, in, in a new dog? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, we have three daughters, uh, Layla, who's 10, Sophia, who's eight, and Hope, who is six. Amazing. And a new puppy, a Christmas present puppy. <laughs> the better than I am. I haven't caved to the puppy desire yet to my kids, and mm -hmm. I'm hoping I won't. But bless you guys in your puppy quarantine. <laughs> we need it. You guys have been on quarantine for longer than we have, haven't you? Yes. We yeah. were just calculating. We were calculating it. But basically, since March 1st, we've been in like, that in levels and then March 10th, they hit like lockdown. So we've been in lockdown since March 10th and then it's gotten more and more restricted. So we're not allowed to leave our apartment except for one person, um, only grocery stores and pharmacies are open. So we've snuck our kids out twice in the last five weeks, but they've been in our apartment. Yeah, <laughs> so. we live in a sky rise, so there's no yard or anything like that. Yeah. Balconies. When, so for your city friends, when you get ready to complain about quarantine and social distancing, just imagine, being with three kids, 10 or below, in an apartment without being able to go outside, going outside with your kids twice. Good <laughs> bless you guys, holy cow. Um, Drew and Mary, can you just bring us into your world and tell us about like where you, you know, where you grew up and then why you are in Lebanon and how long you've been in Lebanon and what's the context of that? Can you just bring us into your world a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, Mary and I are both Okies. Uh, both from Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, and uh, you know, as a as a, I'll start with my own kind of side of it. I uh, never was interested in missions. I I met the Lord in high school, but never you know never even considered missions or evangelism or anything remotely in that category of Christian behavior. Um, just didn't wasn't my gifting, you know, and um, and so I had a. Uh, an opportunity. There was a time when I was in college uh, when there was sort of a, an opportunity. Sorry, we have a kid, you know, talking around. Uh, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip and I felt this kind of dreadful conviction that I ought to do it. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't interested. Uh, and uh, I signed up for this trip and went to Egypt. And I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that Egypt was a Muslim country. You know, I knew nothing, I no, 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 no radar at all for what I was signing up for. When I found out what I was signing up for, I was petrified and really, really, but I was too like, too proud of, too like, you know, proud to, to back out because it sounded scary, you know? Uh, so I went on this trip to Egypt, spent two months in Cairo. I was dreading it. I, I arrived in Cairo, this is 2003. I arrived, arrived in Cairo and immediately connected with people, loved it. Felt like people were so warm and welcoming, not what I expected at all. Uh, I, I love the food. That was a big concern for me. And I uh, just, the whole experience kind of just blew my mind. But about five days in, I had an encounter with God standing on this old medieval castle looking out over the city of Cairo, where I just felt this intense 
I don't know how to say it, an impartation of faith, a, a glimpse of God's heart for the Middle East. Uh, and I just, my imagination was captured with what God wanted to do in this part of the world. And it was not connected to any natural events. In fact, most of the, the other Christian workers I was connected with were pretty discouraged about the state of things. Um, but for some reason, I had this moment with the Holy Spirit and felt like, wow, God wants to do something here. And I felt this subtle invitation to be a part of it. And as a 20-year-old, strangely, it gripped me. I, I changed my major. I started studying Arabic uh, and went back home, had kind of a moment with, uh, with God again, where I felt like God was challenging me instead of to, you know, using this as a nice excuse to drop out of college, uh, to give myself to a local community, to, uh, to serve and grow until that local community thought I was ready to go and blessed me to, to go. And so um, started sharing my experience with close friends, Mary being one of them, she'll hop in and tell her side of this in a second. Um, but it was about a six year process of God knitting a group of friends together. And in the, during that time, we took some short term trips to Lebanon. Uh, and, and Lebanon is a place we saw God just do some phenomenal things here, felt uh, really connected here. Uh, and then about uh, obviously there's a million stories I could tell in all there, but I'm just going to jump over it. So after about six years, uh, we formed a team sent by our local church of close friends. We moved to Amman, Jordan because of a language program that we spent. We spent two years in full-time language school and then moved to Lebanon. Uh, March 15th, 2011, which happened to be the day that the Syrian civil war started next door in Syria. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You've so been, I guess. Oh, good. You've been there for almost nine years. Yeah. Overnight, a little over nine years. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that took shape as we as, as friends began to explore this, this sense of promise for the Middle East, you know, it was a sense of promise that, that inspired us. And as we, we began to, to study the scriptures and read what God was doing in the world, uh, we became envisioned for this, this idea, this vision that God, uh, that God wanted to start movements, movements of house churches like we see in the book of Acts, simple movements led by ordinary Arabs who are encountering Jesus and sharing it with others. And so that's been the, the, the vision and work we've given ourselves to in, in the various kind of, and it takes shape in different ways based on our own personal callings. But that's been the, the thing that's kind of, that's the, that's the vision we had when we launched out and it continues to be our vision today. Brilliant. How about uh, you? Yeah, so my story is different. Um, Drew, and Drew didn't say, but he's a teacher. So we actually have work visas. We work here. And so we, we feel really, we love to be able to actually have a place in society that we as professionals serve out of, and then obviously can do kingdom stuff on this side. So, uh, or not on the side, but in part, inside, inside of it all. Um, so I, um, my story, I, I was saying, I want to share it because it's really different than Drew's. Mine is that I felt called to the poor and the most broken from a really young age, like from the age of 12. And I pictured myself in India or Africa. And I took one trip to Morocco um, when I was 18. And I thought the Middle East and North Africa were crazy. And I was like, I would never live there in my life. And it was like a really scary experience. And so uh, when Drew came back from Egypt, we were best friends at the time. And he was just wrecked about Egypt and the Middle East. I was like, oh, God, help his wife. Like, that's so sad for her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but in my process of- My, my hypothetical wife. His hypothetical wife. 
And, um, and in the process of feeling called to like the poor and feeling called to wanting to go to the hardest, like kind of like I wanted to go to Sudan or something. Um, I felt like God invited me to become a nurse and I'm not like, that is not my, I'm not a science minded person. I'm more a literature philosophy type of mind. So I gave myself to nursing school, but there was these multiple times in nursing school that just felt like, like just multiple times where I had these breakdowns of like, what am I doing? And I actually failed my boards the first time, which felt like, it felt like a break in protocol between me and God that I would, he would call me into nursing. I would go, I would work so hard and then I would fail things. Um, Anyways, obviously I passed that. I worked in the States and there was just all these moments where feeling like I had these passions deep inside of me. And yet like, it felt like all these unfulfilled dreams or desires, or I would even get a taste of it. And then, and then it would stop. So as I worked in a hospital for three years, I talked to, I ended up being like a, helping start a disaster relief thing. And then Drew and I fall in love and Drew pulls me into <laughs> a different city. So it felt like I would get like momentum towards something I would want. And then, and then it would shift. And so I felt like I kept having these desires and longings and then, and then they would, I would have to lay them down or they would die either one. Um, and so here I am, Drew and I fall in love and he wants to go to the Middle East. That was a real awkward conversation, lots of tears. I tried to, I tried to sway him. Um, and even like, even eight months up until we were moving, I was like sobbing. Like, I don't know if I want to move there. I don't even know if I like the Middle East. And it didn't have like a heart for, you know, oppressed Muslim women, like girls around me at the time did. And, um, and so anyways, I came in total faith. And the thing that I felt was like, I want to burn for the Middle East like my husband does. Like, I don't want to be the wife that's like, I don't know, Betty Crocker. Like, I want to burn for this. And so I kept asking the Lord to give me his vision for the women in the Middle East and for his people here. Um, but it actually took a lot of like, I don't know, wrestling. So there was this, just this time in Jordan where I was praying and I was asking and so many times I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't feel it. I don't have it. And so that I would say that two years in Jordan of like learning the language, learning the culture, there's just these multiple times where I'd reach out to my close friends and be like, I don't know, guys, this is not what I'm expecting with my life. And then we got to Lebanon and I looked, I was so excited to like, I learned Arabic so I could work. So so excited to like find a job where I could be serve and use my nursing degree. And Um, We got here and I went to every major hospital, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education, all these places, Ministry of Employment, and they're all like, sorry, we have a a law protecting the Lebanese workforce and like we don't employ foreign nurses. Other professions, yes, teachers, doctors, but nurses, no. So I'm literally like, I feel God invites me to be a nurse, freaking, you know, steady and like fail and steady and then I become an ER nurse and that was hard. And I'm in a country and they're telling me I can't be a nurse. And it was, it was just really rattling and overwhelming and just horrible. And, and I'm like, I don't even want to be in this you know, country. So just wor- working through all of that. And, um, and so in that process, surrendering to the Lord and holding on to his promises and being faithful in the little and faithful with sharing him here. Um, and then like Drew said, the Syrian refugee crisis happens. And so as Syrians start pouring into Lebanon, um, I start saying, guys, we got to do something. So I start mobilizing our team at that time. There was 12 of us, 12 adults and lots of kids, but I was like, we got to start praying once a week. We start asking the Lord, how can we serve Syrians? And, um, we tried a lot of different ways, but the thing that ended up opening up is that I was able to kind of help mobilize 
mobile clinics into these refugee camps. And so all of a sudden God had connected me with this Lebanese gal and there was like funding and it just sort of all came together where I, um, I think it was two years into being here. I'm driving into refugee camps. I'm, I'm going into these camps that have 60, 70 tents. People are opening up their tent for us. We're coming in, we're bringing in medicine. And then we would see 150, 200 people. We pray for each one of them. We start seeing miracles as we're praying for them. We see pain go away. We see like, I mean, you know, actual discs being like, um, discs, bulging discs get healed. We see things like you wouldn't believe. And also just moments where we're praying for these women and they start weeping because they've never felt the presence of God before. So all of a sudden, all of this pain, all of this fail, all of this perseverance, can happens where I'm standing inside my dream life. Like I am what I'm walking out of presence in a most desperate situation. I'm serving them practically with my nursing degree, but I'm also bringing his presence. And from that, we would start meeting with anyone who kind of had this encounter with Jesus, whether it's through prayer or through a healing, we would go and meet with them and read the scriptures with them. Um, so I just, just to kind of paint the picture of like the opposite formation of like persevering and like so many, like, hit the, hit your head on a wall. Um, so we have a video of, um, showing kind of a clinic. And so I hope we get to watch this. So yeah, this is the video that of, of showing the culmination of what I, of the wrestle and, and then what I got to, what I get to actually get to do weekly. Lebanon six years ago. I got linked to a Lebanese woman who was amazing who had been doing clinics in mobile areas. And once the Syrian crisis started spilling into Lebanon, we started doing huge clinics where we were coordinating, you know, 40, 30, 40, 50 people, Lebanese doctors and yeah, physical therapists and dentists and all this stuff into the camps and spending it 12 hour day. Coming here, I experience a level of organized chaos that you don't experience in clinics in America. Mostly because of the sheer volume of people that we will see in a three or four hour period. We'll see anywhere from 80 people to 120 people usually. It's chaotic, you know. I'll, I'll see a woman and her six children at one time. In the States, <laughs> to be honest, if a woman showed up with six, with six kids at our clinic, we would only let her bring in one child at a time if they all wanted to be seen. There's lots of ways that the clinics hit something unique. One of the ways is that the, the Syrians oftentimes, like healthcare is inaccessible to them. They came from a socialized where healthcare was provided. Now they're in Lebanon, everything is so expensive they can't afford it. So oftentimes even simple things like ear infections or strep throat or whatever, they, they aren't going to doctors for because they don't have the money. So we're meeting a really, really practical need, but an urgent need when you're a mom, you know, and you have kids. Inside the clinics, I think the most powerful thing is that people are coming with their fear and their um, nervousness that their kids are gonna die or whatever, and we're just able to love them and calm them and look at their kids and, and treat them with such love and dignity and respect and pray over them. 
and then able to see healings. And this is where, where it's creating a kingdom moment that is life-changing for people who come along and volunteer with us. And I would say one of our greatest fruits of that is Raida, and she has has grown in her role in this team where she now feels the ownership almost that she can lead it. I think she comes because she knows that that this is something that she believes she's called to do. When I first met them, I would see them sit with my mother and pray and read from the Bible. But I didn't think much of it. But then, through helping at the clinics, I learned how to actually talk to God before I had never prayed in the name of Jesus. I didn't know Jesus at all. So I came to my first clinic and nothing unusual happened. But my second clinic, as I prayed for the women there, I felt the presence of God so intensely. I felt like someone was right there with me, speaking through me. It's like it wasn't me talking. His words were coming through me. Over and over again, when Ra'ida does it, she's praying the name of Jesus, and she's praying these, like, from the depths of her soul prayers for her fellow Syrians, you know? And Ra'ida won't give up. Like, she'll pray for you. We had a girl recently who has had, like, she's 16, and had, I think, four stomach surgeries, you know, a real GI case. And uh, Ra'ida probably paid for her for five minutes. We have tons of people. We're in it. It's real busy. Prays for five minutes, and, and just, you know, all of it, you know, I know this woman is suffering and you know this woman is suffering and only you see what she's been through, only you see that, you know, what she's faced and the girl is just crying. And then Raida picks her hand up and says, how do you feel? Do you feel any better? And the girl feels, oh, I feel a little bit better. And so Raida starts praying again. Raida probably spends 20 minutes with this girl. And the girl at the end is just crying and says, my pain went away. She's really persistent to the point now where um, like of course all of us are praying for people and I'll be praying for someone and I'll say did your pain go away or do you feel anything did you feel any peace or anything and the woman they'll, they'll say yeah it's okay then right it's like they need me to pray for them sometimes I visit other girls my age and I realize that Jesus is sending me to them he is the one compelling me to be with them. My desire is that all of them would know that the most important thing in the world is faith in Him. Nothing is more important than drawing near to Him. There are people around me in despair over everything in their lives. But for me, if I possess nothing but I am with the Lord, I consider myself the most fortunate, happy person in the world. That is overwhelming. I mean, how badly, Bruce City Church, do we need to hear stories like that? What God is doing around the world in the midst of crisis, crisis that we can't imagine. God is showing up. Uh, every Tuesday, I, I mentioned, Vince, for some of you who just joined lately, Drew and Mary Caldwell are in Beirut, Lebanon, in the Muslim side of Beirut, and they have been there for over nine years, and um, just loving people and living their lives with their family and, and uh, uh, bringing the gospel and the good news of Jesus to Muslims in Lebanon and Syrians. Um, I've been on this cohort call every Tuesday morning with uh, Mary and with a number of other church leaders around the world, and as we share about what's going on in our churches, 
uh, in the States or in Canada or even in Northern Ireland. We'll share what's going on and then Mary will share. And we all feel inadequate whenever Mary shares because what the, what I, the sense I get over and over again is the stuff that you see and read about in the New Testament in that book of Acts, that's the world that the Caldwells are living in. God is moving in such a way in these areas where you'd never imagine to find him. It's incredible. So um, Drew and Mary, could you just fill out the, the rest of our time with a couple of stories of God showing up in, in pretty incredible ways? Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, was, I still remember, you know, this is a, this is kind of a, an older story, but it's one that I, that always just sticks out to me as kind of the, just the, the most incredible example of the reality that God is the one initiating and on the move and, and really that we're living in a, uh, I think it's, it's sometimes we, we feel, I mean, I lived in the, I grew up in the West. We feel out of touch with, like you were saying, Randy, that, that book of Acts reality sometimes, you know, and we, we ask silly questions like, why did those things happen back then? You know, and we're, and, and that's not a reflection on God. It's a reflection on our own norms and experiences. And I remember moving to the Middle East and we, you know, go, going through this whole process and raising uh, support and sharing the vision over and over again. And then, uprooting our lives and leaving and, and feeling, you know, when you, when you finally get there and you're face to face, these people, you can't even talk to them feeling this nagging sort of terror. Like, have I done something absolutely ridiculous? Uh, and the, uh, I, it was, it was such a gift from the Lord to us, but about three or four weeks, maybe a little bit longer, maybe about six weeks. I'm not sure. I can't remember the timeline exactly, but very early on within the first few months of living in Jordan, early on in language school, uh, we were attending an Arab church, uh, both for the connection, the spiritual practice, the prayer. And it was a spirit filled Arab church, very passionate. And I went to a Wednesday night prayer meeting and, and there was actually quite a few people there and they're all going for it. And, uh, and afterwards, I'm talking to an Arab Christian who speaks English, and he was, we, were, we were chatting. And as we're talking, a, a young man comes up to us, really sheepish, kind of uh, like, he looks like he's really nervous and anxious. He comes up and he introduces himself uh, as, uh, by, by the name Ahmad, uh, which immediately reveals his religion, you know, that this is not his normal hangout spot. Uh, and... Uh, and so we were like, yeah, welcome. You know, what, what brings you here tonight? And he was like, you know, I, to be honest, I came because there's a, there's a Christian girl that I have a crush on, uh, which that's an international phenomenon. It crosses all cultural barriers. And, um, so then he says, but while the, while you, you all were praying, I felt this electricity in my heart and I don't know what that is. I've never felt anything like that before. And so the Arab Christian I was with said, Hey, you know, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. God's speaking to you. He wants to show you uh, that, that he's with you and he wants you to know him. And so he gave him the, you know, as we were in the church, so he pulls out a church Bible, you know, and he goes, he gives him a Bible. And he says, hey, read this. And, and, I, and I said, hey, if you ever have any questions, you know, take my phone number. So we exchanged phone numbers. He left very nervous. Uh, a few weeks go by. I never expect to hear from this kid again, but he calls me. And he's even more scared, you know, like things. He's like very, just, just his voice is shaking on the phone. He says, can we talk? So I say, yeah, here's where, I, here's where my house is. He comes to my house. He's sitting in my, my living room, trembling. He says, well, I'm going to tell you what happened to me, but please promise me you won't think I'm crazy. And I said, then go for it. 
he said, well, I was, I was, I've been reading that Bible that you gave me. And I got to this verse that says, Jesus is the light of the world. And it was at night it was before I went to bed. And I was, I was laying in my bed. I read it and I, I put it down to go to bed. And I just kept saying to myself, the light of the world. What does that mean? The light of the world. He says he was laying down in his bed and he can't sleep. And he, and while he's still awake, lying in his bed, he said, suddenly my, my bedroom filled with light. And he says, I you don't, don't think I'm crazy. He's like, but this light was heavy. I couldn't move from my bed. Uh, sorry. I couldn't uh, move from my bed. I was, you know, I was trembling. He's like, and, and a voice spoke to me out of the light. And he said, Ahmed, I, I have chosen you. I've cleansed your heart. You know the way. Now come and follow me. So he tells me this story. Then he pauses. Then he kind of slumps his shoulders and he shrugs and he goes, so I guess I'm a Christian now. <laughs> uh, I, and, and, you know, I, I've been in the country for less than two months. I have no, I mean, I haven't said a word to this guy. I wasn't even going to hand him the Bible. I'm just watching. I'm just thanking God that he's allowing me to be a witness to this. Wow. And so then, then he said, then he said, or then a few weeks later, I see him at the church and he says, can I talk to you again? It's getting weirder. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. <laughs> so we go on a little walk. He pulls out, or he, he starts to tell me about this dream he had. He's like, I had this dream. He's like, it's really disturbing. Don't, don't think I'm weird. I'm so, I know you must think I'm crazy. I'm like, no, this is great stuff, man. Just keep going. Tell me. He's like, well, I had this dream. In this dream, I'm wearing these dark, dirty robes. And all I can think about is I want to clean these robes. I want to, I want to clean these robes. And he's like, so I go and I, I, I look for water and a rag and I start scrubbing and scrubbing. And no matter how hard I scrub, I can't clean the ropes. He goes, and then, now this is the part you're going to think is crazy. Someone handed me a bucket of blood. Whoa. I don't know why I did this, but I put my hand in the blood and I touched my robes and they turned, they turned white. And I go, what do you think it means? And he goes, no idea. It makes no sense. He goes, blood stains ropes. What type of blood can make them clean? And I go, you ever heard anything that might give you a hint of what this means? And he's, he literally is just like kind of astounded. I go, well, hey, hey, let's, let's look at something. So I open up the Bible with him and I'm trying to think of what's the clearest kind of bridge here. So I jump to the book of Revelation, this vision of a great cloud of people wearing white robes worshiping God. And it's the verse where it says that God wipe away every tear from their eye. They'll hunger no more, neither will they thirst. Um, and, and they're worshiping. And it says they, their, their robes were white because they had washed them in the blood of the lamb. And so he reads it and he gets there and then he looks up at me and he goes, this is what I dreamed. And, and as he says that, I just feel the, the presence of the Lord. And I say, Ahmed, do you realize what this dream means? Like, your whole life, you've tried to clean these robes and you've never, you've never felt clean before. You've never had any confidence that it's working, right? But God wants you to know that your robes are clean, that your faith is, means that he, he wants you in that crowd. You're gonna, you are going to be standing there with this crowd of people worshiping. And it was just such a, it was, it was such a profoundly radical moment uh, that, that literally my, my whole participation was that I just got to see it happen. Um, and it was for our whole team though, it was this marker where we knew from that moment on, like, we are not crazy. 
God is moving. God is doing the heavy lifting and, and he's invited us to bear witness. Uh, man, that's so good. Oh man. How do you, how do you didn't, it's just incredible. Blows up my world. Makes me love Jesus more. Oh my God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, more, give us another one. Okay. I got another one. Um, so we do a lot at the clinic. We do some basic trauma stuff in the clinics. And then if we can identify some women that we can do some deeper trauma uh, work with, we do follow-ups. So a woman came into the clinic last um, December and she uh, was really troubled. And I've been doing them for six years, doing them weekly, sometimes twice a week. And so I, I'm used to my interactions. And uh, she said, after I asked her a few questions, she said, um, can you give me new blood? I was like, what? And then uh, she said, can, did you know anything that can change my blood or give me new blood? I just want a new life. And I said, I actually know how you can get a new life, but let's talk about this more, you know? And um, anyways, I ended up visiting her and she's traumatized and has had a really horrible things happen to her. And as we did some trauma debrief and spent time with her, um, she keeps asking me, but I really just want a new life. I want, a, I want, a, I want you to do something to change me. And I was like, and normally we invite um, the people that we meet into a journey of knowing Jesus and to a journey of discovery, but she kept asking. So I just was like, I'm going to go bold here. So this is like, actually Jesus can change your life. And this is how he's changed my life. And actually on the visit with me is Raida. So Raida is sharing how Jesus is changed from, from, the, from video. the video. So Raida is a cover, she still covers, but she believes in Jesus and she prays in Jesus's name. So Raida is sharing how Jesus has changed her life. And, um, and so this woman, I said, you know, if I were you, I would every night for the next few week or few, for this next week, cry out and say, Jesus, if you're real, come to me. Jesus, if you're real, show yourself to me. You can also cry out to Muhammad. You can also do whatever, like you can do whatever you want there, but just, you know, before you go to bed, cry out to Jesus and see if he'll show himself to you. So I come and visit her the next week and we're talking for a good 20 minutes. And then finally I'm like, did, Hey, did you end up praying and crying to Jesus? She said, I did. And I said, how was that? She said, well, I had three dreams, but they're really bad. And I said, what? And she said, I had three dreams for three nights and three nights in a row. I had the dream and I shared them with my neighbors and they told me that something bad is going to happen to me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so she shares me with me, the dreams and I'll, I'll, they, they were all pretty significant, but the, the last one a man in white shining like the sun comes to her and he says, why are you so upset? What do you, what do you need? And she says, I think I'm sick. I think I'm sick. And he says, drink this water and you'll be healed. And the, she said the water was living. She said it was actually moving and living. I've never seen water like this. And so we open up when Jesus says, if anyone's hungry, you know, is anyone thirsty, come let him drink from me. And she just looks at me and she was like, I'm convinced, like, I want to follow Jesus. So we actually, we, we, I said, okay, so again, normally I'm, I'm in a process, but here, we're just going to pray a prayer. So I, we I had a girl with me also a Muslim background believer. She prays a prayer of surrender. And then this uh, Syrian we're with starts praying and she starts praying with the most incredible clarity of giving her life to Jesus and, oh, and just saying, I want a new life. And she's, it's, she's it's, like, her soul is coming out. And at the end, she said, I'm sorry, I just sort of just said it all. Was that wrong? And we were like, no, that was amazing. <laughs> so anyways, that was just like, that's a, that's a, another picture of what we get to like walk into and what we get to be a part of. Oh my goodness. 
if you're at home and like me with tears in your eyes, overwhelmed hearing this, the scriptures come, coming alive and being lived out among Muslim people in the Middle East, in areas that you'd never guess it, Syrian refugee camps and Jordan and Lebanon. God is on the move. Jesus is revealing himself in miraculous ways. We're going to have Drew and Mary with us next week again. We're going to have a part two and hear a little bit more about their context in the Middle East and what's happening to be able to know how to pray. And then we're going to hear some more stories from them next week. So look forward to that. But we are going to uh, close down our time. I'm going to pray. Then Mary's going to pray both in English. And then we've asked Drew to pray in Arabic. And uh, I'll have to mute myself because I'll be crying. So <laughs> let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, I'm overwhelmed. Thank you for the Caldwells. Thank you for their team. And Jesus, thank you for your heart for your people. Your heart for human beings, individuals, since the beginning of time, your heart that pursues. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a God who, who miraculously, supernaturally shows up in unexpected ways in the most desperate places. I say yes and amen to you, Holy Spirit, and what you're doing and how you're moving in Syria, in Lebanon, in the Middle East, how you're, how you're revealing yourself to, to people who, who don't even know what they're looking for, don't know your name, and you're revealing yourself to them. The light of the world rests on a young Muslim man. The, the, the great healer who gave a Samaritan woman living water is giving Muslim women right now living water. And we say yes and amen, Jesus, to what you are doing, to the movement of your gospel that cannot and will not be stopped. And so we bless the Caldwells. Would you protect them? Would you nourish them? Would you give them what they need? And would you give them, Holy Spirit, would you just overload them with your power and with your authority, with prophetic graces, with healing graces, with, with words of knowledge and wisdom, with, with a nourishment of the scriptures. Would you bless them now in Jesus' name with the full array of your glory, of your power, of your wonder, of your truth. We bless them now in Jesus' name. Encourage them. Fill them up. Bless their team who's around them. Would you encourage them as they can't step out of their apartments? We just bless them with companionship, with togetherness, with patience, with goodness. Bless their daughters. Bless their team's children. We bless them now in Jesus' name and say we're with you and we love you. And as much as we can be with you in spirit and heart, we are with you and we love you. So thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you for encouraging us in this moment. Yeah, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you um, you love to bring your body together. I thank you for um, Randy. I thank you for Bruce City. I thank you that we're an extension of each other, that as they pray and, and support and love us, that we can pray and support and pour out over them. And so, Jesus, I release what we're seeing here. We just release it over Bruce City. God, we ask for healings. We ask for dreams. We ask that you would go to the most unlikely people, the most hurting, the most traumatized 
the, the poorest of the poor, the most broken, the ones from the most dysfunctional families that you would show up in dreams, yeah. that you would come to their most desperate moments and that you would come and you would wake them up to your kingdom. God, we ask for a release of the supernatural that Bruce City hasn't seen yet, that there's more to come, that, there, yes. that you're just, you're pouring out your presence. Yeah, we thank you, God, for this moment. We thank you for this this moment in history that we're clinging to you and we're, we're saying, God, you're the one who, who grows your church. You're the one who breathes on the fire and you're the one who can start a fire that cannot be stopped. Yeah. So God, we say like, breathe on us, pour out your presence on us. We love you. There's no one like you, Jesus, it, that to follow you, to, to give everything to follow you is our greatest, is our greatest desire. And we, and we, and we just say that it's, it's not a it's not a sacrifice it's our joy it's our joy to adventure with you it's our joy to serve you it's our joy to give our lives to you yes thank, thank you jesus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. خلي كل واحد بحبك من كل قلبه يا رب نحن نطلب انه انت يا رب بتواحد كنيستك بكل البلدين بهالوقت الاستراتيجي بالعالم يا رب ونحن عادين بالبيوتنا يا رب ننزل نزل علينا يا رب روحك القدس نار روحك ورؤيه جديده وقوه جديده وخاصه لاصحابنا ببروسلي نحن يا رب نطلب انك تملؤهم يا رب بروحك بقوه بالرؤيه أسس كنيستك وملكوتك من خلالهم بكل مطرح يا رب وخلي مجدك يملأ كل الأرض باسم المسيح آمين. Thank you Lord. Man, Drew and Mary, so fun. Love you guys so much. Love you. This is really, really an honor and a joy to be with you guys.